Don't beat yourself up. The goal is not to be perfect. It's just to be better than before. Hi guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited about today's show because Neil Pasricha is here and he's such a good person and he has such incredible things to say that he restores my faith in humankind. You know, sometimes, especially over the last couple weeks, I see things on social media or hear things people say and there's such hate out there. Oh my gosh, it's hard to even believe it. Honestly, because I have so much love for human beings and then I see stuff like that and it hurts. Oh, it hurts so much. But when I talk to someone like Neil, I am reminded of how good we can be and it restores my faith. And so I'm so happy. I'm so happy to have a podcast for shows like this because I know that he's going to pour into you. Not only that, he's so smart and the amount of content he's going to share that is going to help you and give you tools you're just going to be so happy. So you might even want to re-listen and take notes, but I'm so excited to dive into today's episode. In the meantime, come on over to my Instagram to say hello, because I'm trying to curate a place that is purely positive, where I'm putting out just just love and just good stuff every single day. So if you want a spot on the internet where there's a beautiful group of humans, the community there is amazing, come say hello. You can talk to me in my DMs. I just want you to know I'm rooting for you. I love you. And, uh, you know, I was watching this movie with Will Ferrell, the new uh, Christmas movie. It's called Spirited. And it talks about the ripple effect of like doing good. And that really is true. And as hard as it feels sometimes, it really is amazing how one kind conversation or one way that you inspire someone or one thing that you do, how you become an example. And it just, it, it does ripple. And we have to remember that, like starting a wave in a stadium. It does ripple and it matters. You matter. Every single one of those smiles of yours, every single one of the moments where you are courageous, where you're vulnerable, where you share, where you put beautiful things in the world, it all matters. Okay. So I want to tell you that today. And if you're interested in working with me, if you go to the link in my Instagram bio, there are a lot of fun things there. There's some like quick workshops that you guys can take if that feels helpful and supportive. You can also apply to the 2023 Mastermind. The application is also at kathyheller.com slash mastermind. But if you go to the link in my Instagram bio, there's a few things there as well. All right. So Neil Pasricha is back. He's the author of 10 New York Times and number one internationally bestselling books and journals. He's also a podcaster, a blogger, and a speaker. He was on this show a few years ago to share another another amazing journey of how he started a little blog called The Thousand Awesome Things, and it completely exploded. It led to his best-selling books and journals like The Book of Awesome, Awesome is Everywhere, The Happiness Equation, Two Minute Mornings, You Are Awesome, and he has a new book that comes out tomorrow. It's called Our Book of Awesome, a celebration of the small joys that bring us together, and it's all about how we can create simple habits that implement more awe and gratitude into our lives so that we can shift our mood, shift our behavior and mindset, and be better equipped to take on the world. In the book, he also shares over 
over 500 awesome things that are so relatable and open your eyes to the magic that we can find every single day. So go get yourself a copy. I think we all need this. We can all give this to our friends and family for Christmas, for the holidays. Also, Neil has an incredible podcast called Three Books with Neil Pesarisha. It's his completely insane and totally epic 15-year-long quest to uncover and discuss the 1,000 most formative books in the world. He talks with guests like Brene Brown and Malcolm Gladwell and Seth Godin and Judy Bloom and many more about the three books that had the biggest impact on them. And with a guest list like that, you know the conversations are so good. So go check it out. Neil is like a fire hose of energy and his enthusiasm is so infectious. He has a lot of juicy information and exercises to share with you that you can really Fine will make a difference, so pay close attention and take some notes if you can. So without further ado, please welcome the very awesome Neil Pasricha. Neil, welcome back to the show. I'm so happy to be your friend. I'm so happy to know you. I'm so happy that you're in this world flying a flag of how much better we can all feel. Yay! Yay! And you're so great in it. Oh, well, thanks, Kathy, for having me. When I was on your show last time, I probably had like 400 messages from your community like that more than any other podcast I'd ever been on. So to that anyone that is the best thing to yeah. ever tell anyone. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. To me. So it's great to be back. So I think that what we should do, even though you've been on the show before, just to catch people up before we dive into the new book and before we talk about all the things that really light up the world like Times Square, the way that you just share so beautifully, such a better lens in which to see the world. Before we go there, I think people need to be reminded of your story. Otherwise, we don't have the context. So can you just take us back and rewind a little so we understand more about your journey? Sure. My mom's from Nairobi, Kenya. My dad's from Amritsar, India. They had an arranged marriage in England. My dad performed the hamburger test on my mom. She ate the hamburger, proving she wasn't a vegetarian. Their second date was their wedding two weeks later. They moved to Canada in the late 1960s. I was born in the 70s, 1979, Oshawa, Ontario, Canada. And I grew up thinking, this is life. You got good schools, you got heat on in your house, you got water on in your taps, like what else do you want? My life was going down the path. It was going down the path until my late 20s when everything, the apple cart tipped, Kathy, the apple cart tipped in my late 20s. I drive home from work, I'm working at Walmart, I'm a manager of leadership development, I'm in the HR department. I drive home to my house, which I just purchased two years ago with my wife, I'm using all these things. You can hear the air quotes because these things are all about to fall away. She tells me, I'm not in love with you. I'm in love with somebody else. I don't think this is going to work out. I think I want a divorce. It's over in a conversation. And then my best friend, Chris, who I went to school with, and he was working as a vice principal down in Washington, D.C., him and I had been talking on the phone like every single day. He's one of the 43% of us who suffer from a mental health challenge. I talked to him on the phone that Sunday night, and it was the last time I spoke to him. I got a phone call at work from his sister the next morning to tell me that my best friend Chris had taken his own life. So I lost my wife. I lost my friend. I lost my house because you you don't want to live in a big house when you're not only not going to have kids, but you're not only going to be there by yourself. So I have to sell the house. I find a tiny shoebox apartment in downtown Toronto. And at this time, I start a blog. You go to Google. So I did. I type in how to start a blog. I click I'm feeling lucky. I'm talking 2008 here. And I started up a little website called 1000awesomethings.wordpress.com. And for the next 1,000 straight days, I write about something to cheer me up. And I didn't say I was good at it. I didn't say I was, uh, you know, great at it. But I just started right. My first post sucked. It was Broccoflower, the strange mutant hybrid child of nature's ugliest vegetables. Nobody read it. Then the next day, I read about wearing warm underwear from the dryer. Nobody read it. Then I read about... 
playing with old dangerous playground equipment, you know, hot slides, falling in the cigarette butts. My mom sends it to my dad. My dad must have sent it to Reddit or Dig or Fark or something. It takes off. I get 50,000 hits in one day. And the blog never stops growing. From that point on, it ended up getting 100 million hits. It won an award for best blog in the world from the International Academy of Digital Arts and Sciences. I was flown to New York City. I walk a red carpet literally between Sarah Silverman and Martha Stewart. I go on stage. I accept this award. I come home to Toronto. Ten agents, literary agents, are waiting in my inbox to turn my blog, 1000awesomethings.com, into my book, my first book, which comes out in 2010, called The Book of Awesome. Look. Even though the blog is popular, the publisher is like, yeah, well, it's a blog, it's a blog to book. It's like the Chuck Norris book. It's like Fail Cats. It's like, let's print 6,000 copies of this. Well, it sold a million copies. It just, something happened. It was all bad news. And this was like puncturing the lens of the world with like positive stuff. I get invited to go on the Today Show. I'm horribly humiliated, Kathy, because Meredith Vieira says, how do you teach America to be happy? And I'm like, I got no freaking clue. <laughs> I don't know what you talk. I'm a recently divorced man living alone who's writing about warm underwear. Like, that's all I got for you, lady. They cut off to commercial break. They ship me home. And the front page of the newspaper is like, welcome home to the Pied Piper of happiness. Suddenly, I'm realizing that I'm going to need to start figuring this stuff out because media keeps asking me questions because I wrote this blog that turned into this book. So for the last 10 years, like the what's going on since then, I have dedicated my life <laughs> to trying, trying to understand life's biggest themes. And so now the bio at the back of my new book is uh, Neil Pasricha thinks, writes, and speaks about intentional living, i.e. I wander around, I write blog posts, I write articles, and eventually they coagulate into books, which at the time of this conversation is, I've, I've done 10 of them. And you're like, why did you write 10 books? What made you keep going? Well, lots of things. I... After living downtown for a year, I finally started thinking I should probably start dating. And then after another year of dating, you know, one one date, one date, one date, drink, 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 12-minute dates. I'm, I'm the king of 12-minute dates. I'm the king of no one writes me back the next day is what I'm trying to say. I eventually meet someone who I fall in love with. Her name is Leslie. We fall in love. After a year, we move in together. After another year, we get married. And on the flight home from our honeymoon, she tells me she is pregnant. So then I write this blue book here called The Happiness Equation, where I try to distill and figure out, you know, what is it that makes us tick? This is a letter to my unborn child. That's the premise of the book. And I still got lots of issues, so I am endlessly distracted. So I create a a journal called Two Minute Mornings to focus in the morning, not sleep on my cell phone, get rid of the phone. I am addicted to social media and doom scrolling. So I started a podcast called Three Books to focus on reading books again. 57% of Americans read zero books in the last year, by the way. And I also realized I have super, super thin skin. And I think the last time we spoke, I was just releasing the resilience equation. And that's because I'd get a bad email and, you know, I couldn't get off the floor for three days. So I decided to look into resilience. So I have been focusing on themes like gratitude, happiness, trust, failure, and resilience. And now I've got my first book of awesome in 10 years. It's called Our Book of Awesome. And that's why we are hanging out today. That's why we're hanging out today. But we don't have to talk about it. That's my life story. The end. I'm now 43 years old. I was 28 when I started that blog. It's been 15 years of wildness. I quit my job at Walmart six years ago. So I've been doing the writing thing full time for six years. My first eight books and journals were all done while I worked at Walmart. And then I quit and I've only done two. My output has dramatically fallen since I've decided to focus on it full time. 
Plus I have kids. Plus I have kids. <laughs> I am so in love with you. You're so spectacular. You are like the fireworks show at the end of the Disney parade. And even though I knew that story, <laughs> and even though I've heard you tell it to me directly, I still cried when you shared it. And not only because it's so much, it's like you could see John C. Riley being in a movie where all of that <laughs> happens to him. And he's just like, why? You know, this is so intense. But because it is absolutely remarkable what you showed up with in that moment. It is absolutely the most incredible music that a human being can play on this instrument of life for you to have reached for that note, for you to have come up from this dark place and all the wildflowers grow. I will say, Kathy, you're amazing and you are a gift and you have an ability to use metaphors like the fireworks at the end of the Disney parade and the John C. Riley movie that just is quickly captivating and gripping and visualizing. And these days, the ability to distill and simplify things is the most powerful skill of all. But I will say the story, because it's an accordion, it's squeezed into a minute instead of 15 years. I will also add I had time. So time is a big ingredient and I had therapy. Okay. So I will, I just want to add those to the Mm -hmm. pot here because if I didn't suddenly start seeing a therapist twice a week, twice a week, like that is a lot of therapy, <laughs> that plus time. So the blog was not a panacea. It's a one ingredient in a stir pot, let's say. But you know, it's amazing because I heard Gary Zukoff say this and I heard Oprah say this, and I think maybe she learned it from him. I'm just guessing because he was the person who was on her show more than anyone. But he said, we think that there is something called cause and effect. But it's not the cause that creates the effect, it's the intention. And that there's a lot of people who have tried a lot of blogs. And there's a lot of people who've gone to therapy. And there is something in the DNA of your energetic, your vibrational imprint, what was truly being cast into the world, being broadcasted. And that's why it was... Right. And it's, it's an amazing thing because there's so many people who are listening right now, want to create a podcast, want to write a blog, want to open a business, want to do a million things, want to start a relationship. But then there's all this evidence of why that is the dumbest thing to do, why you should never even get started because who do you think you are? And then once in a while, someone comes along and instead of focusing their attention, their flashlight on any of that, the intention itself, the longing to express and put something in the world is so pure and absolute that it is felt around the world. And that is the power of being in that definitive state of overflow. That is generosity. There is no attachment there. You weren't like, this needs to now make me wind up on a red carpet with Sarah Silverman and on the Today Show. No, it was unattached to that. It was a pure state, an act of generosity. Let's talk about that first, because that is where so many people are every single day. And then the decision is why even bother most of the time? Yeah, I agree with everything you said. And I'll also add selfishness in there too. Like I needed it. I needed it for myself. I didn't know at the time that there's a great study done by University of Texas researchers Slatcher and Pennebaker. The title of the study is called, How Do I Love Thee? Let Me Count the Words. And it shows that couples in a relationship who journal 
are 50% more likely to stay together in the relationship after three months. Three months is a very long relationship at the University of Texas or any college campus for that matter. I also didn't know that Emmons and McCullough did a study showing that if you write down 10 gratitudes at the end of every week for 10 weeks and they compared it to people who wrote down hassles and people who wrote down events, then the people who wrote down gratitudes were not just happier, but they were physically healthier. You want to go to the gym, you don't want to go to the gym? Gratitudes are a bicep curl for your brain, is what I'm telling you. They were physically healthier, even though they didn't actually do anything, okay? The gratitudes have to be specific. This is the part most people forget, Kathy. They say, oh, my husband, my kid, my dog. That's not going to work. We're trying to trigger your visual cortex here. It's a part of your brain. It's got an area in it called Area 17. Don't write down my husband. Say, well, my husband, Antonio, put the toilet seat down. Don't say my kid and my five-year-old daughter, Sonia, wrote how to write her name. Don't say my dog. Say, when the rescue puppy we got in the pandemic saw peeing on my wife's pillow. Okay? Make it specific. Those two studies I just mentioned, the one on journaling, the one on gratitude, I knew nothing about them. But it turns out that the thing I wanted to start, which partly was based on selfishness and partly was based on generosity, kind of coagulated some of the stuff the studies say and worked because it was working for me, i.e. it turned into a personal place of therapy. And I will also suggest... Because I had the job at Walmart at the time, I was like, oh, you know, I'm not going to try to like slap ads on it right away. And like, you know, I'm not going to spend my time focusing on SEO rankings. I focus on the writing. I focus on the thing, the actual blog post. And I think sometimes today we can get distracted with trying to sell something before we got something. You know what I'm saying? And so whatever percentage of your time you're able to dedicate towards the art or the craft or the actual thing As close as you can get that to 100, the better for the thing you're making. It's just better for the thing to have more of your energy on the thing, not the advertising of the thing. It's amazing. That is such a different way to look at it. And you're right. Everybody's always like, how do I market this? How do I grow this? It's like, what is this? Um, And when I started my podcast, my podcast was a side hustle to my songwriting, which was a full-time thing. I was writing songs for Pretty Little Liars and Younger and whatever else and McDonald's commercials and Walmart too. Anyways, the point is my podcast was a side hustle to that when I first started it. And it was a labor of love. It was a passion project because I knew what it was like to have some gift inside of me and be working a job that I felt was not at all utilizing what I came to the world to share. And I wanted to help those people who were really writers, potters, dancers, people who had gifts. And it was like, I see you. And so I would have done it to to this day. I just said earlier today, I would still do it for free because it's my favorite thing I'm doing in my life. I love talking to you about these things. I love talking to Malcolm Gladwell. So do you. I love having this conversation about how do we find a sense of purpose in our life? And I would have done that anyway. And so when that is in fact, what's the intention? That is in fact, what gets communicated. And that is in fact, when it does get traction. And so that is such a beautiful point. Now you made another point, which is fascinating, which is you were actually able to accomplish so much while you had your job, including best-selling books and award-winning blogs, even more than you have since not having a job because you now have kids and you have all these other things. Tell us why that's so and how people can see that there is an opportunity here while they have their job to create a beautiful world for themselves. Yeah, for sure. And on your first point about the kind of heart coming through the art, which is a phrase I never said before, but I sound like it. (laughs) I can't tell you. The Book of Awesome has nothing in it about the fact that my wife left me and my best friend took his own life. But the number of people that have come up to me and said, you know what? I was just going through a divorce. I lost a friend and something about this book. It's like the number of people who have said a very similar story to mine who have liked the book 
although my book does not mention my story in it at all, is fascinating, which tells you something about that being true. Like, there's something about the way I was feeling in that specific mental state that awesome things were like a tad more acerbic than they would have been or whatever that comes through and resonating with that group of people. It's interesting. And then here's the thing. When my wife left me, it's like I moved downtown. I'd never lived downtown before. Like, so I was scared of that. I'd never lived alone before. I'm 28. I've never lived alone in my life. Even when I went to school, I had roommates. I always had a roommate, so I never lived alone. So I'm living alone for the first time. I'm living downtown for the first time. And all my friends were, like, married with kids in the suburbs. I I just happened to be. So I had no contacts in my phone. Like, I had no friends. Really, I had, like, three old friends who I knew lived downtown. So when I'd get... Walmart was an early-to-early company. So it means it was the kind of company that kind of worked Mm -hmm. well for me. You'd work, like, seven to four. Point is... I'd get home from work by like five. And honestly, Kathy, I had nothing to do. I had nothing to do. My wife had just left. Whatever mutual friends we had, I was too emotionally distraught to see. Like I didn't want tethering to this heartbreak. So I got takeout from Fresh. The If anyone from Toronto, it's like the vegetarian restaurant, Richmond and Spadina. I got takeout from there every single night. Buddha Bowl. Shout out to the Buddha Bowl. And I come home to my my apartment, which was at King and Spadina, for people that know Toronto. And I would just sit at the screen. I'm like, what else am I going to do? I had a slight advantage, I will say, that like TikTok wasn't invented yet. Because I don't think my brain could handle that type of addictive opportunity on the side. And if I had that opportunity today, I would have to fastidiously delete and control access to all that stuff because I am compulsive when it comes to checking addictive stuff like social media. So I didn't have that stuff. It almost worked out better for me because it was 2008. You see what I'm saying? Like, So even Facebook and Twitter hadn't taken off yet. So I had like, I write a blog. I type it in, I hit publish, or I set the publishing timer to 12.01 a.m. So I did 12.01 a.m. every single day for a thousand straight days. And then I went to bed. And sometimes I went to bed at nine. Sometimes I went to bed at three in the morning, depending on what time I finished the job. And I will say that baked into this thing is the regularity of doing it every day. So if somebody was listening to this and say, you know what, uh, I could never do that, blah, blah. Sometimes my posts were like one sentence. You know, I, could, I couldn't think of anything. But there's an old fable, I say fable now because Jerry Seinfeld has said it's not true, but there's a fable about Jerry Seinfeld saying he used to put a big calendar above his desk, and if he just sat down and wrote one strip of comedy a day or one line or one joke, doesn't matter if it was good, doesn't matter if it was bad, doesn't matter if it was long, doesn't matter if it was short, just keeping the streak going was a vital thing to be committed to. And so for whatever that is for you, whatever your craft is, whatever you're making, whatever it is you want to do, if you can just do one tiny iota of it a day yeah quality irrelevant that is often enough why do i say quality irrelevant because my blog was called a thousand other things kathy there's only 200 good ones in the book so so we hust away 800 of the chafe you know whatever that word is just to get find the good stuff so as long as you're making something then some of it will be good absolutely that's that's such a beautiful point i want to switch gears but really go into the heart of the work you do this new book, our book of awesome, a celebration of the small joys that bring us together. This is my question. Are you ready? I'm ready. You hit me. You ask me the question. I give you, that's how we do this. Okay. That's how we do it. So (laughs) we know this idea that if it bleeds, it leads, right? Like this idea of people watching negativity and, and there's so much of it out there. Yeah. Well, 
the journey that I've been on over the last, I don't know, I guess it's like 12 years of like going to meditation retreats and studying John Kabat-Zinn and Joe Dispenza and doing a lot of the a lot of the work going on week-long Vipassana retreats and things like that. So here's what I've learned. I've learned, and we talked about it earlier on a different call. People are addicted to suffering. And this idea of welcoming in people to joy, people actually initially are like, nah, not interested, don't want, not subscribing here. And it has to do with some of Brene Brown's research around how joy actually feels very vulnerable for people. And the research Joe Dispenza has done has found that cortisol is more addictive than nicotine. People are addicted to feeling like crap. They're addicted to it. It's uh, your body at this point. It's more than even your thought. It's your body has uh, oriented to it. And so then when someone comes along like you or Fred Rogers, who is just a beacon of yummy, right? Like goodness. Yeah. Yeah. There's the sense of like, nah, no one really wants it. And that won't really get viewers, right? In writing a book like this. Yeah. How is it that we as people won't just read it and say, God, that was beautiful. What a good guy. I love that I just had that experience, but we'll actually let joy and celebration into our life for real. Because the truth is some people have done that. Some people have gone into that and come out the other side and the smile inside of them is real. Wow. And they they no longer externalize like, oh, I'm only going to be happy when this and that. They like literally can find a road to joy. But a lot of times we will block that. So I want to know the real, real. How do we actually do it? Well, I think a really big part of it comes down to biology. And you've mentioned the body. Everybody, maybe not everybody, a lot of people have heard of the amygdala. There's an amygdala in your brain. It secretes fight or flight hormones all day. It's been evolving for 3 million years. You might not know this, but our species has only been around 300,000 years, but the amygdala is pre-species. Like, you know, before anything else, we got to look around and see if there's something going to eat us and if we need to run away. And so you say, if it bleeds, it leaves. Well, that means, of course, our or- we're oriented to look for negativity because that typically is what saves us, so seeing where the problems are and going the other way or fighting off the problem. So, you know, it's only now, I think, in this era of infinite abundance and, you know, people often have a negative reaction when I say that. But you know what? If you look how kings lived 100 years ago, they couldn't have pressed a button and had a car pick them up and press another button, have dinner waiting on their porch when they get home. I mean, it's ridiculous, the abundance that we live in. Yet, we have the highest ever rates in history of anxiety, loneliness, depression, and suicide that we've ever had in human history. And so part of it is what we expose ourselves to, and part of it is what we choose to look at. And so when someone listens to your podcast and hears your words, they're choosing to let into their life as one of their five people, you know, the average of five, the law of five. If Kathy is one of your five people, then you've got this in your ear, right? And maybe if you're also hanging out with Brené Brown, who you mentioned, or John Kabat-Zinn, or Mel Robbins, or whoever it is, or Neil Pasaricha, you know, you happen to be changing the water that you swim in. However, the old school, typical news media and social media business models are based on the opposite, which means if they hook your attention longer, which is typically through negativity because you're amygdala, this psychological relic, don't take it out. It'll kill you. You got to have the thing. It's not going to, you know, it's not going to be good if you take it out. 
But yeah, I want to look at negativity. So we call it doom scrolling now, but the business model is oriented to hook your attention as long as possible to feed you as many ads as possible, right? So we have to become aware of that. We have to choose where to put our attention. So what do I choose to put my attention on? This is a really big part of it. Who's the five people for me? Honestly, Kathy, these days, since we talked, this was new for me too, is... I'm outside a lot more than ever before, and I want to just call this out for people because 7% of our children's time is outdoors today. That's the lowest level in recorded history. If you multiply 7% by seven days a week, that's 49%. It means it takes a kid now a whole week to get half a day outside. Think about how much time you spent outside when you were a kid. So get outside. Why Why should I say get outside? Tons of research, one of which I'll just give you for your left brain audience is phytoncides, a gas release from trees, actually lowers your cortisol and adrenaline. You diminish your ego. They've actually shown that people who are out in nature who take pictures are much more likely to take pictures where it's the nature or it's like them in the corner. With people who aren't outside, it's like their face. The picture's like their whole face. Like when Steve Jaws put the camera on the front of the iPhone, man, that was a family feud buzzer for the health of society. Like that was a big problem because we became so self-focused, right? Okay. So number one is I go outside. Outside. Bird watching. I'm telling you, Kathy, bird watching is wonderful. I love you so much. I just have to say it every four seconds. I love you. (laughs) Second one is physical fitness. We got to get active. There's research from Michael Babick that shows that three half an hours, so that's an hour and a half a week, actually outperforms antidepressants, which 10% of our population is on. And sometimes when I say that, people are like, well, 10%, that's huge. And these days, people are like, 10%, that's nothing. Because the rates of depression are 43%. That's right. (laughs) That means 33% of people with depression are not on antidepressants, okay? So, but I'm saying three half an hour physical activities a week is shown to perform better than a group of people on antidepressants or a group of people doing both the antidepressants or the walking. So we got to get aside. Here's another one. I'll give you three. I'll just give you three because I could go on forever and I'll just stop at three. Reading books. And you're like, okay, well, this guy's on the podcast uh, trying to sell this book. I'm not talking about my book. I'm talking about fiction. The research is all about fiction. Turns out that reading fiction opens up the mirror neurons in your brain responsible for empathy, compassion, and understanding. Those three things add up to EQ. EQ is the hardest leadership skill of all to grow. My last job at Walmart was director of leadership. I was inside a 2.5 million person company trying to grow managers to directors, director to VPs, VPs, SVPs. You know what the number one derailer was at all levels in the largest company in the world? EQ, I'm telling you, baby, it's empathy, compassion, understanding. When you read a book, you're not you. You're a different gender. You're a different religion. You're a different time of the world. You're a different place in the world. A reader lives a thousand lives before she dies. The woman who never reads lives only one. I changed the gender for the quote because it's from George R. R. Martin. And I didn't want to throw shade at him by just being, you know, uh, male-oriented. But he says he in that quote. Yes, that quote's from Game of Thrones. And yes, that's a book of fiction. we got to read more books. 57% of Americans read zero books in the last year. It's depressing. It's the lowest number of readers we've ever had in history. And reading books opens up the parts of our brain we need to grow in order to be better leaders, citizens, sons, daughters, sisters, brothers, moms, and dads. Oh, my God. You know, it's just such a actual, total, complete, full-body, joyful journey just listening to you speak because the amount of information that you have synthesized coupled with your vibration, which is just like loving and sweet and available and accessible and approachable, is just like the best gift ever. So I love that we're getting this experience with you. I love that you're putting your work in the world. I want to talk about those books a little bit more with your podcast, and then we can circle back again to your book. But three books with Neil Pasricha is the name of your podcast. You've had some phenomenal guests on the show, like Brene Brown and Malcolm Gladwell, who we mentioned before. 
and you talk to them about the books that have changed their life. What have you learned from talking to such incredible leaders and hearing the way the books have changed their life? Well, I was once on a flight from Chicago to Toronto and it was late. It was like a 9.50 p.m. flight and I sat in the front row. I was in business class and the guy next to me was this really interesting rapper and he was young and he had like a big earring in his ear and we were drinking white wine together and cheers and talking. And I was like, uh, he's like, do you know anyone in Toronto I kind of want to hang out with? I was like, uh, I mean, uh, well, you're in the rap community. What about Drake? He's like, that's the only guy I know in Toronto. I need to look at it. I was like, this guy was like all, I won't even, I won't say his name. But in my head, I was like, this guy's perfect for my podcast. I got a guy on my podcast. I said to him, so do you read, do you, like, are you a reader? Do you like read books? He's like, no, never. I can't remember a book I've ever read. I was like, damn. So what's my point? There's an old Charlie Munger quote. I know zero people, none, zero, who aren't reading, who are interesting. And so one of the biggest takeaways is simply the more we read, the more we broaden ourselves and dimensionalize ourselves. It turns out that when you read books, they've done MRI scans at Emory University and found out that even the morning after you read, more of your brain is activated than consuming other, any other kind of media. It's not surprising because, of course, when you watch Big Little Lies on HBO, someone else is the director. They choose the actresses. They decide what Reese Witherspoon and Nicole Kidman are wearing. They decide what the bathrooms look like. They decide the music. They decide the set. They decide the costume. When you read that book, and it is a book, when you read that book, it's you. You're the director. You come up with all that stuff. You use more of your brain. In fact, they even show that language centers and smell centers are open up. Like if you read the word cinnamon or the word leather, you can actually smell it in your mind. I've had friends tell me on the podcast, I interviewed Elan Masai back in chapter 10. Like I don't call them episodes on my show, I call them chapters. And I release them on the exact minute of every new moon and full moon, by the way. I don't trust the Gregorian calendar. It was invented by a Pope 500 years ago. I trust the moon, Kathy, because the lunar calendar is 30,000 years old. The moon's been here for billions of years. It'll be here for billions more. That's what I trust. So I released on the new moon and full moon. And Elan told me he was reading A Day in the Life of Solz- uh, Ivanisovich. It's a Russian book by Solzhenitsyn. And he said, I was reading the book, Neil, and I shivered. I was on my sunny, warm balcony in Vancouver, British Columbia. And I was shivering because of the fact that I felt like I was in this like prison camp that I was reading about. And that's the power of books. So one thing that's a big takeaway is we just need to be reading. We just need to be reading. If you have an independent bookstore, support it. Support it or they go away. If you have a bookstore near you of any kind, chains are fine. Waterstones, Barnes & Noble, Indigo, fine. All good. Support it. If we don't support them, they go away. The problem with everything just going to Amazon is you somehow get like robots delivering your stuff from the airport. You miss the whole community element. Part of books is community. If you go into Books and Books in Coral Gables, Florida, I'll tell you what you see. You see a bunch of old ladies playing Mahjong in the corner. You'll see another people like discussing their, their book club pick. You'll see like kids running around. The book is a third place. Shout out to Third Place Books, which is a great indie bookstore named after that concept. We need to have more third places in our lives. There's a great book on this topic called Bowling Alone, which you might have heard about from Putnam, which is the fact that in society, part of the reason loneliness is at an all-time high. It's not just me saying that. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy says the next big... Surgeon Generals usually talk about smoking, obesity, AIDS. This guy's saying loneliness is the next big epidemic. Did you know 40% of us live alone? And there's not necessarily a correlation between living alone and loneliness, by the way. You could be in a relationship with a lot of kids and still feel lonely. But our rate of living alone is 40%, Kathy. That's the highest level in history ever. 
and loneliness rates have doubled since the 1980s. We're tending towards the bullying alone society. So part of reading is the community and the connection. Part of the reason I called this book, by the way, our book of awesome, not my book of awesome, or the, I didn't even put, I took my picture out of it, dedication out of it, no acknowledgements, no author photo. I want to feel like a global conversation, comments come up, entries come up. The book ends with a cacophony of awesome from hundreds of people around the world, all shouting awesome things, and they get smaller and smaller. So the back of the book is just 200 awesome things. That's it. There's nothing else to written in one point font because I want people to remember that the power of books is actually one of community and tethering and bringing us together by annexing all of time and knowledge and history and wisdom into tiny compressed bits that we can have at our side for companionship and love and joy and empathy and compassion and understanding for the rest of our lives. When everybody around me is dead and gone, if I still have my books, I'll be happy. Oh my gosh, there's just so much in there. It's like every one of your answers it's like remember in the early 90s the the rant that went viral with the sunscreen and wear sunscreen yeah yeah every one of your answers is is a symphony it's an opus it's it's like ready to be like sent off and in every person's ears as required listening so let's see if we can break this down to a couple simple things that people who are listening right now could do in their day to have a much better time, a much better life, a much less lonely, a much more fulfilling experience. So you've already said one of those things might be beginning your day or ending your day with some specific list of gratitude. One thing might be going outside, take us through a day and make it a little bit of a a simplified version so that we can actually take it and do it. First of all, Kathy, let's here, let me do a test because we're live. Put a yes in the chat room right now if you woke up this morning within five feet of your cell phone, okay, on average, I think you guys can look at this, you'd probably guess, it's about 95% of us. And it's not just this group, it's all groups. It's 95% of us everywhere. And when I ask people what they did before bed, Kathy, guess what they said? I checked my cell phone. What if somebody commented on my Instagram post? What if my boss emailed me? What if my sister texted me? What if I, what if my fancy football guys on, uh, I got to enter my waivers, whatever, right? Oh yeah, what'd you do when you woke up in the morning? What's the first thing you do? Everyone says the same thing. I checked my cell phone. What if my boss emailed me? What if my sister texted me? What happened to the hang saying index overnight? What's the price of Bitcoin? Whatever. I'm like, we got a problem here. If everybody has an addiction, it looks like nobody has an addiction. But if you drank a bottle of wine before bed every night, slept within five feet of a bottle of wine, and drank a bottle of wine when you woke up every morning, what would we call you? No judgment. We'd probably call you an alcoholic. Everybody's a phonaholic now, and we don't realize how interfering this is in our happiness. You asked me for some simple things we could do. I'll tell you the number one thing is get the phone out of the bedroom. And I don't want to hear that it's your alarm clock. Put the alarm clock beside your bed. Plug the phone in the most awkward, hard to get, disgusting room of your house. My charger for my iPhone is in my furnace room. There's cobwebs in there. It has a cold concrete floor. It's dark. So when, right before bed, I get the great idea to send someone an email, which I'm sure I'm gonna regret the next morning because I'm tired and cranky, I don't want to take the 20 seconds to go downstairs and actually do it. So I don't do it. And that's really important. And you can buy the alarm clock. to get. And people always say, oh, well, I'm really important, Neil. I might get a call at three in the morning. No, you aren't. I'm sorry. You're not that important. And if you really are, like you got sick parents or your sister's going through some trouble or you got a boss that's like all over you or whatever, get a landline. You just give that number to your five emergency contacts and that gives you permission to get the phone out of the bedroom. Then when you wake up in the morning, I got three things for you. There are three prompts. I call them two minute mornings and because you don't got your phone. 
You don't got your phone, so now you're anxious, like me. You're like, what the hell? What am I supposed to do? I got nothing to do. And I, it's this thing I call two-minute mornings. You grab a pen, you grab a piece of paper, you write down, I will let go of, I am grateful for, and I will focus on. I'm saying you, everybody who's listening to this, is awake for 1,000 minutes a day. That's the average time everyone's awake. So I'm saying if you could give me two minutes in the morning, I got your whole day figured out for you. I got 998 happier minutes for you. You just got to give me two. And what are the two things? I will let go. Did you know almost every world religion has an I will let go baked into it? Judaism, Christianity, Catholicism, bless me, Father, five sin. You know the Catholic Confession Chamber, Islam, Mormon. Almost all world religions have this, Kathy. Don't you think there's a reason? For repentance, for for confession, it's built into the religion. But guess what the fastest religion is in the United States this year? None. According to National Geographic, <laughs> the fastest religion is none. In fact, the U.S. is crossing over a 50% secular threshold. I got no judgment either way. I'm just saying. I'm just telling you the facts. Canada's there. France is there. Netherlands is there. UK is there. New Zealand is there. I know your audience is all over the world. So lots of these westernized countries or western countries are already into this you know, it might be great to say I don't have religion or whatever. That's fine. It's up to you. But you're we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater here. Let's get I will let go of back in. I will let go of comparing myself to Tim Ferriss. I will let go of my podcast downloads being a fraction of Kathy's. I will let go of burning my kids' brains on Paw Patrol. I will let go of that nasty thing I said to my mom. I love my mom. Why didn't I tell her off the other day? I, I will let go of that. So you see, you write down something. It's just for you, but you crystallize and eject it from your brain. It's not just me. It's not just every world religion. It's also research in Science Magazine that tells you this works. Then I am grateful for. The whole point of our Book of Awesome is to give people 500 things to be grateful for. Carrying an ice cube tray from the sink to the freezer without spilling. Okay. Sending a private message during the video conference and then seeing your coworker look down and silently smirk. Mm. Texting your husband to do something when he's upstairs and you're downstairs. Mm-hmm. So it's just 500 of these things. So you can get it from there or you can get it from your own life, right? And then third one, I will focus on part of the problem with the world today right now is getting in the way of our happiness is decision fatigue. Everyone's got this. Do you know when the world opens up to internet level, it's like there's just global FOMO all the time. No one can keep up with every book, every channel, everything. And the algorithms sort of, you know, sidle up to us and sort of tell us what we think we want. You know, last year I was reading in Harper's Magazine, 10% of the content that you viewed on social media was decided for you. And next year it's going to be 40%. I'm saying the for you page, that dangerous algorithm look really divide, hack into your brain kernel page and TikTok, it's going 4X over the next year. Meaning that it's going to be in a few years that you don't even follow anyone you know. It's just telling you, oh, you like girls in bikinis. You like guys jumping off of roofs. You like fantasy folk. It's just going to tell you things that it just knows how to hack you. So you got to get off the drug. I will focus on is a little moment in the day at the beginning of your day to just write down one thing you will do from your endless. You got to carve it up from your endless could do, would do, should do list. So that's it. I will let go of, I'm grateful for, I will focus on a two minute happiness intervention in the middle of the beginning of your day. So you have 990 eight minutes that are happier. And we know from research from Sonia Lebomirsky that if you can prime your brain for positivity, you're 31% more productive. You got 37% higher sales. You're 300% more creative. I can go on and on and on. You live longer. You get promoted more readily, blah, 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 blah. It's better to be happy. It's going to work for you. It's absolutely exquisite. And it is fascinating. I was thinking about this the other day because it's so 
it's so pervasive how people can point to all of the things that they say are wrong in the world. Like, oh, it's so bad. The environment, global warming, politically, it's so bad. This is so bad. It's like you're you're inside your phone. It's like the artificial intelligence has like taken over and your brain is no longer you, your consciousness. Yeah. It's like this subconscious, it's this horrible puppeteer that puts you in a horrible state of mind. And then I was thinking about how different my actual day-to-day is than the way my perception is, right? I go through the day, I meet men, women, kids. I meet people of all different races, genders, whatever. And people are really, people are pleasant and nice. Like truly my day-to-day life, different than what social media and the world and all of that cacophony of all that stuff is telling me is really actually beautiful. And I see goodness and kindness in the people that I talk to. And so it really, it's so important what you just said, because you're living inside of a lens of a world of a reality that's not really actual reality and you don't have to live in it anymore you can unplug from it and plug into what neil is drinking which really is available for all of us so i i just love so much that you you shared all of that now people are really going to be high listening to this right they're going to feel everything turn on inside of them like christmas tree lights in times square they're just going to feel so full and then as seth godin says you know, we have to anticipate the dip, right? Because yeah, we're yeah. programmed and we're, we have a habit. We have a habit of stress. We have a habit of looking for these other things. So how can we anticipate that we might fall from grace after yeah. seven minutes or four days? And what then do we do when it feels like, ah, oh, forget it, Neil. Like I tried it. I did the two minute thing for, for a few days and then I got sidetracked again. And now I just feel overwhelmed and overcome uh-huh. again with negativity. Well, that's fear talking. It's very normal and common for everybody to have a journal at their house that has one page filled out, you know, that's pretty common. But the thing that's missing, it's kind of like meditating, you know, people say, oh, well, I can't meditate because I can't focus. Well, actually, the muscle that you're trying to grow while you're meditating is getting back to focus every time you fall off. It's the getting back muscle. And so similarly, with anything I'm anything I'm talking about, whether it's the two-minute morning practice, you think I do it every day? No, I forget half the time. I got a kid screaming at 5 a.m. with a fever. You can't, yeah. I can't do it. The thing is, don't beat yourself up. The goal is not to be perfect. It's just to be better than before. If you do it just one day, you're already better than before. If you don't do it the next day, fine. Do it the day after. You didn't do it again. Fine, just do it the day after. You gotta let yourself off the hook, stop beating yourself up, and just start doing it again. If you were planning to do two minute mornings every single day for a year, but you only did it 17 times, well, that's 17 times more than the year before, isn't it? So the goal is not to be perfect, it's just to be better than before. Don't beat yourself up and just get back on. It doesn't matter. Just get, just start doing it again. It's okay. And some people, by the way, everyone's different, but I have a friend named Shane, he lives in Ottawa. He's got a wonderful podcast as well. I say, I go to the gym. I schedule four workouts at a week so that when I inevitably miss one, I get my three workouts in, even though I miss one. I build in like yield management. I build in me missing 25% of my workouts so that my failure is still three. And if I fail two, then I, you know, I get two. That's fine. He's like, wow, that's so interesting. For me, I have to schedule it every day. Something small, but something moving. Because if I fall off, I can't get back on. 
So I'm saying there's a big, there's some brain psychology here too. But for me, the growth is simply letting yourself off the hook and starting up again. Not, not worrying. Look, when I designed two minute mornings, the original design of this book, which by the way, holds six months worth of doing it was, it was like, you know, January 1st, January 2nd, January. And I changed the editing of the design of this journal to just have like line, line, line. So that purposely it doesn't be, it doesn't beat you up. If you miss it, because you just write, you just write the next day that you did it. You yeah, know? what what you're saying is really profound, and I want to just highlight it for a second. I remember when Dan Harris was on my podcast; he has a show of his own called Ten yeah. Percent Happier. Yeah, and in there, he's talking about his own journey to fulfillment and something that is more of a joyful way to live. And he had a breakdown on like public, you know, in front yeah. of everybody on TV. And he said when he went into the belly of the beast and he started to uncover what it was that was keeping him from feeling joy, it was shame. It was yeah. judging himself. Right. It was keeping himself to a standard where there was no wiggle room. And unless he was doing that for all of the 60 days, unless he was doing that for all the six months, unless he was on track all the time, it would be this immediate judgment. And he realized that that is the only thing that we cannot hold space for shame. We can hold space for grief. We can hold space for pain. But when we have this feeling of judgment of ourselves, it, it like, it's what it takes the train completely off the track because there's no way to be with shame, but you can, you can be with everything else. And I thought that was really fascinating. And I want to just highlight when you just said this, this is really key. People will say to me, how have you been meditating since 2007? And they say, because I, I tried it. I can't get my mind to be quiet. I say, can you get your pulse to stop? You can't get your mind to be quiet. That's not yeah. the goal of meditation. The goal of meditation, which you just said is the moment when you recognize that your mind has wandered and just in the gentle, non-judging noticing of that, you bring your attention back. Exactly. That's it. That's the bicep curl. So I love that you just said that. And this is what has to happen is we have to reorient to what it is to be successful, which is just the noticing without judgment and bringing ourselves back. And go ahead. Yeah. No, no, no. I to- I totally agree with you. I totally agree with Dan. And I think a big part of the problem is, and I haven't said this before, so this is just, here's a new, here's some new, something totally new. I'm just like, we invented the school, we invented the school system in, during the industrial revolution when the whole point was to like, you know, get people to kind of go in one side of the portable and walk out the other side as like a, you know, a nice cog for the capitalistic machine. And as a result, some of the leftovers of that way of teaching are still with us. Like if you don't read the book from start to finish and get it done, you've failed at the book. So if you didn't finish The Great Gatsby and everyone's discussing chapter 12, you've got no idea what's going on. You're a failure, you're a loser, you fail English, you suck. Well, the number one value of my podcast, three books, is no book guilt, no book shame. I don't, I don't even recommend people read books from front to back. And I don't recommend they read them all the way through. And I don't recommend that they have to finish them. Like none of that stuff matters. It's hard. But I asked Mark Manson, who wrote Subtle Art Not Giving a Fuck in chapter 26 of my podcast, how he reads so many big books. He's like, Oh, I just look at the table of content. And I pick out like the three chapters I'm interested in. You know, I just bought The Myth of Normal by Gabor Mate, which is 700 pages long. And honestly, the way I'm reading that book, because I know I'm not going to read that book, is I'm just going through the index and any interesting word, I then just read that page. That's it. And when I'm done doing that with the index, I'm done the book. And if I'm not done, I'm still done the book. There's no book guilt. There's no book. You can read YA. You can read comic books. You can read shampoo balls. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You don't. I like that point about the shampoo. Just get rid of it. Who cares? 
The goal is just to read. It doesn't matter what you read. The goal yeah. is just to try. It doesn't matter what you try. The goal is just to get, get back on the horse. No such thing as perfect, just better than before. And it's interesting also, I'm realizing as we're having this conversation that I asked Julia Cameron, who wrote this book, The Artist's Way, I asked her if she indeed believes that everyone is an artist. And she said, have you ever been in a preschool and seen a child who's not creative? And I said, well, that's a great way to answer the question. The answer is obvious. Every child then is creative. And she said, that's correct, because every child is in that moment of their life, for the most part, they don't have the shame. So they're willing to be messy. And because they're willing to be messy, they have so much fun. And that's when they allow their creativity to come through. And creativity, in order for you to come up with something like the iPhone or to write a book like you have written, you need the space to be playing and trying and iterating. And when you look at your, your, your life in this moment and what you've been up to, it's so exquisite to watch you kind of creating these like ribbons out of what comes from you. And that only happens because you take off the need to predict and control and you allow yourself to play, to write, to scribble things down. Like, wait a minute, that could be a book. That could be a blog. That could be a second book. That could be a this. That could be a speech. That could be a podcast. right? And it's like, when you talked about what makes people happy and what makes people feel lonely, there's this default almost in humankind, which is so beautiful, where we want to express and connect and feel like we're making an impact on somebody else. And when we take away the shame, we allow ourselves to be creative, look what can come from us, and then look how much we don't feel alone because we feel as though we are putting something in the world that other people feel and respond to. But that's only on the other side of being willing to be messy and make something that you don't have shame keeping you from. So I want to ask you a question though, because as much as all of this can really, it's so obvious, like what, what's coming through right now in this podcast is absolute, you know, the absolute number eight, the absolute, you know, vodka. This is the absolute concentrated version of love. That's what's coming through. That's what they can feel. And yet, even with all of that, that we can feel viscerally, people are still going to go to, but what are the steps? What are the strategies? What are the concrete ways? And I think it's obvious here that when there's this level of energy, those other things, you need less of them, right? And those other things can't hold a candle to this. And yet success leaves clues. So just, just to give it like, you know, obviously when you're looking at a light, a lamp, it's the light that does the heavy lifting, but there is still a, a 2% element, which is the filament, the, the actual bulb that holds the light, right? If you're looking back and people are sitting here saying, but I would love to have a couple of those clues so that I could create a great blog, create a great podcast. What are hmm. some of the things that you have seen for the creative stuff that have allowed you yeah. to build an audience yeah. and to then send this light through some level of something concrete that actually sends it to somebody so they can, it could be delivered. Sure. Well, you know what, for almost everything that I've ever done, a big principle that I've followed is, is, you know, with a thousand awesome things, it was a daily, it was a daily thing. And I told you a lot of them sucked. I mean, I wrote a post called number 863 ducks, you know, they can walk, fly and swim ducks, three humans too. Awesome. That was it. I mean, it was just a bad post. No one liked it. But just by doing it every day, I had the rhythm. And when you have a rhythm, you have an audience. You have more likely to have an audience. And there's a lot of things on, on the internet these days that are 
oriented towards this daily output practice. A lot of the big influencers on social media, not which I am not, you know, kind of publish daily. A lot of big YouTube channels publish daily. A lot of the daily stoic, blah, blah, blah. So like, what is the smallest possible morsel of creative output you could flow on a regular basis? That's, that's one. I mean, it doesn't have to be good, you know, it's just, Getting into a daily rhythm of the routine is, is, is something that's interesting. And I just tell, like I said, I always set those posts to 12.01 a.m. And so till, still to this day, if you go to neil.blog and you click newsletters, I have a daily awesome thing email that comes out at midnight every single day. You know how many letters I get from people saying, I wait up till midnight till I get the email? Well, it's not the I wait up till midnight. It's the fact that they just know it's coming. That's what I'm saying. Do the people that you're making the thing for know it's coming? You want that answer to be yes. With your podcast, I'm assuming they know your publication schedule. That's what I'm saying. Just yeah, have we one. Say, we call that an audio habit. Like you can expect it Mondays yeah. and Thursdays and then you become wow. a habit. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, you're not on the uh, waiting for the fun. I'm actually thinking about going down to just full moods because I, I can't even keep up with my bi-weekly podcast. But whatever. It's just as it's regular. You communicate, you communicate its regularity. That's one. Another thing that you were asking for like tips and trips and like how to kind of get, get started is like, don't be afraid to tell people what you're doing. I, I don't know how long it took me to learn this, but like, you know, how many times have I had a new book coming out and it like, wasn't in my email signature that I have a new book. Like I, it's like, that's my, that should be my automatic. Every time I write an email at the bottom, it should say, and I have a new book coming out. I should say that every day to everybody I talk to, but I don't even tell other people my own thing. I'm, I'm hiding it from others. You know, and so like, don't be afraid to tell people the thing you're working on. There's nothing wrong with starting up an email list. And I do recommend email list over social media personally, because you got less algorithm interference. If I send an email, it's going to go to your inbox. Maybe you'll end up in your spam if Google decides it's no good or whatever, but you can decide to get it. You can decide to receive that. So if you start an email list and say, you just have your friends and family and say, there's like 22 people, then at the bottom of every single email, it should say, if you like this, please forward, please forward it. And if you just got this set, sign up here. Just that alone will tell you that if it's getting forwarded and you can look at the forwards inside of whatever you're using to send your email, if it's just your email, that's fine. If it's MailChimp or ConvertKit, you can see that. Well, that tells you something. It tells you something. If no one's forwarding it, then it tells you it might not be commercial. And I will say high level to all this stuff, Kathy, is like, what do you want? You know, like there's the three S's of success. We talked about this last time. Do you want sales success? Is that what you're gunning for? Are you hoping to like throw your, lob your thing into the capitalist machine and get lots of sales and have a dump truck beeping and backing into your driveway dropping off coins? Sure, that's sales success. But you might also instead want social success, which is the love and appreciation of your peer group, whatever you consider that to be. You know, if you're a teacher, you're written up for having you know, great lessons at the school or everybody regards you as the best teacher. You're not necessarily getting promoted to principal if that's what you care about, but it's do you choose the social success. I will say the book of awesome, 10 books, journal, sold mil- 2 million copies. I've never had any social success. I've never had one review in any newspaper. I've never had one New York Times book review. I've never had one review in anything. I've never had one piece of, cl- I've never been nominated for any book prize, literary prize. No one's ever said you, you're shortlisted for the man booker. It ain't ever going to happen. So social is not what I went for. And the third S is, is self. What do you want? Right? And these three things are not all gettable. Like, did you notice that the movie that wins best picture every year is always like some thing that has a really low box office? I mean, I remember the year that Hurt Locker won best picture. It was like $19 million at the box office. Whereas Alvin and the Chipmunks, the squeak well, had 500 million. And that 
had no Academy Awards, but it had a lot of sales success. So you have to decide what you want. And I think that's really important. We miss that. We jump right into it and we chase it. And the reason I've come to that 3S model is because so many people have come up to me and said, I really want to write a book. I really want to write a book. How do you do it? And I say, what do you want? They're like, well, I really want to capture my grandmother's memoir for my grandfather. Well, that ain't going to sell. <laughs> and that's fine. But it's also not what you want. You just want to distill and capture some family legacy. When you build a deck in your backyard, when you bake a cake for your niece, these things are going to have no sales success. Don't go for that. If you want to get into the deck building business or start a cake blog, that would be different. Choose which success you want. And then we can get into the nitty gritty of like how to get your email or get your daily posting or create content. You know, to me, that comes secondary. That's so beautiful. I remember hearing Oprah say that everybody says that they want success, but what she believes is that everybody wants significance and everybody can be significant. Not everybody will be successful as it, as it relates to certain barometers. Yeah. Everyone can be significant. And she said, and when you chase significance, you win. And then if you're indeed intended to be super successful in a certain way, the more significant you are, the more success will, will be un, uncovered. So I think that's really beautiful, everything that you were just saying. And what I want to do is give you a compliment that's really genuine because I think it is part of your strategy too. So I think one of your secrets to your success that I've witnessed is your EQ, your generosity, because out of all of the podcasters that I know, and I now know hundreds of them, and I've been on hundreds of shows and I've had hundreds of people on my show, I can count literally three people, you're one of three, who preemptively has reached out to me with something generous for me. Like you'll send me an email and say, Hey, I was thinking about your podcast and I want to introduce you to so-and-so because I just think that you two would benefit from each other. And I want your book to be successful. So here's a list of seven things that I think would be helpful. The other person who did that is James Altucher. And he is so successful because of that. And so I think sometimes that when we are in an overflow of EQ and generosity, it's amazing how then people respond. And if you think about that, if every single day, in addition to what are you going to let go? What are you going to focus on? What are you going to be grateful for? Hey, nice. In addition to that, if you focused on who in my life could I give ideas to? Yeah. Who in my life could I help introduce to this concept or this book or this person, right? Your own well-being, you never have to think about because the amount of people headed straight to you who want to give back is magnified on a level that you can't even fathom. And Neil, I think that is a hundred percent the case for you because you are one of three people who's ever done that. And you've done it multiple times. And I've said it to you. I'm like, no one does this. And you mean it genuinely. You'll be like, you're so great. You have to meet so-and-so. I want to help you with that. Here, here's a suggestion. Here's a list. You should talk to so-and-so. And it's like, you guys, that is something you have control over. That is a way you can be significant. And by the way, it feels so good to help someone else. And holy smokes, what do you think is going to come back from that? Yeah. All these people who have a well of deposits that you have made and they they can't help themselves. They want to show up for you. So there's that. It's karma. It really is. It really, really is. So tell us where we can buy the new book, where we can find your podcast and where we can get on your email list. So many people want to be reading your emails. So can you tell us how to follow along? 
Yeah, sure. Well, have a principle in life that is karma oriented, which is that 99.9% of everything I do is totally free, which means my blog, neil.blog, neal.blog is totally free. All my articles are totally free. My email list, I have four different email lists. I have a daily awesome thing. I have a bi-weekly podcast. I have uh, an every other week article and I have a monthly book club, which is my oldest one. That's been going for six years. The last Saturday morning of every month, I send a list of every five or 10 books I've read and recommend each month. Okay. It's like a 3000 word email that I just like go crazy and write because it's just fun for me. Those are all at neil.blog and they're all totally free. And then the book, well, there's a button on there called books and our book of awesome. I actually bought the website, ourbookofawesome.com, one of the last three remaining domain names in the world. So I purchased it and you could just go to ourbookofawesome.com and you can grab a copy. And, you know, I tried to link to the local independent bookstore that I'm going to sign copies at and Indigo, if you're in Canada, is doing sign copies at, but now I'm getting a bunch of messages on Facebook saying like, they can't deliver to Chile until, you know, January 12th. <laughs> so they're going to miss Christmas. So it is also on Amazon. It's available everywhere books are sold. Choose the place you want to support that you can, that you're able to support. Yeah. I don't think people realize that it's so powerful to support the indie bookstore and it makes all the difference for the author. Get those indie stores going. I love you. I love everything you shared. Thank you so much for coming on. I hope you have the most beautiful holidays. I hope that your book is just a smash success as everything you do should be because it's just, it's medicine. It's beautiful. It needs to be out there. Thank you for being you. It's a gift to be on here and thank you. Ah, it's so great. Oh my gosh. Talking with Neil is like taking 29,000 trips to Disneyland and not having any long lines and just having the best day of your life. It's so incredible. All right, here are the takeaways. Number one, if you can do just one tiny iota of your craft a day, that is often enough. As long as you're making something, then some of it will be good. Number two, get outside, get active and read some fiction. A reader lives a thousand lives before they die. The person who never reads lives only one. Number three, take two minutes in the morning to write down, I will let go of, I am grateful for, and I will focus on. The other 998 minutes of your day will be so much happier. Number four, what's the smallest possible morsel of creative output you could flow on a regular basis? When you have a rhythm, you have an audience. Number five, don't be afraid to tell people what you're doing. Number six, there are three S's of success, sales, social, and self. It's up to you which success you want. And number seven, the goal is not to be perfect. It's just to be better than before. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad that you listened to this podcast and not only does it mean so much to me, but I really can feel your love and support. And if this conversation touched you, I really feel like you should share this episode. I feel like we are reaching a point where people are so wanting and craving and so thirsty for this kind of content. So please take a second and post about the show or email a link or text a link because we, we've got to start being more bold with making the ripple effects of sharing the really beautiful, positive, loving stuff in this world. Because somehow the other stuff, it just keeps getting posted and shared. And this stuff is really so much more powerful. There are some great guests coming up. So please follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening. And if you love this show, please leave us a review because it helps us so much. All right, you can tag me if you post about this on Instagram at kathy.heller and you can also tag Neil on Instagram. He's at Neil Pasricha, that's P-A-S-R-I-C-H-A. Also, you could DM him and say hello because he loves this community. 
He gets so much joy from connecting with all of you. And before we go, I just want to remind you that we still have spaces open for our 2023 mastermind. This is a beautiful space for women who want to fully step forward into the most incredible version of yourself. You can apply for that at kathyheller.com slash mastermind. I love you so much. I'll leave you with a song and I'll talk to you soon. Subway cars filled with tiny souls. Some are young and some of them are old. Saddest faces you have ever seen. How can we set each other free? Gonna worry life away Gonna be happy, gonna be happy